Welcome to Mercola Healthy Pets Integrative Veterinary Medicine Awareness Week. I'm Dr. Karen Becker, and as a part of our 10-year anniversary celebration, I'll be interviewing some pretty amazing colleagues who practice integrative and functional medicine. Starting this week, you can also nominate your vet or a local rescue or an inspiring individual in your community to be the recipient of our new Healthy Pets Game Changer Award. I hope that you'll tune in every day this week to be inspired and educated by passionate healers from around the world. And don't forget to nominate that special someone that you know that has gone above and beyond to help animals. Again, thank you so much for your support. You know, I'm interested in just having conversations with integrated veterinarians about how they became who they are and why that has mattered to them, not only in terms of the quality of the practice, but themselves like you you appear to not be burned out and you're you have two active practices and you're doing a lot of other things and there's there's a reason for that and so my goal is to for conventional vets that watch this that they can see that there's hope beyond the four years that we graduated from veterinary school if if they're interested in expanding their viewpoint that's the goal right i, I would agree that um although it may not be uh, uh well let's just say that when i did regular medicine the um uh, you know i became disillusioned dissatisfied and i remember telling myself back in my mid-30s that i would probably just practice until i was in my mid-40s make what i could and then retire and go redeem myself somewhere else doing something else hmm. um Looking back, I can tell I never would have made it to my mid-40s. Um, and so uh, moving in this direction definitely took that away from me. I was, I was burned out in practice. And so I can, I can assert that uh, going into complementary medicine uh, for some people will be what they're looking for in terms of revitalizing the interest in their career, getting away, getting rid of uh, – Let's see, expression, um, uh, compassion, fatigue, uh, depression, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, I mean, there are a lot of possible fields that veterinarians could go into where they could expect some relief just because as soon as you create a filter between yourself and the clientele that are bothering you or the work environment that is bothering you, uh, then you make things better. But the holistic medicine has the added advantage of not just being a filter through which clients run or through which uh, that determines a certain type of practice environment. Um, holistic medicine also just has much more gratifying outcomes. And uh, it's much more about, uh, you know, the, the, the type of work that I do is much more what I was shooting for. Uh, what much my idealistic self when I was a kid, that, you know, what I imagined that I would be able to do for people and for their animals, holistic medicine gives me that. Conventional medicine did not. That was where my crisis came from. Go ahead. So that's beautifully said. And ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Steve Marston giving his insights into his evolution to becoming an integrative practitioner. Steve, how... Um, knowing that you, you knew the type of healer you wanted to be as a kid and then going to veterinary school, Dr. Marston's also licensed for people. So he has a thriving human practice and he has a thriving veterinary practice. So he can literally treat the whole family, but you didn't come out of either one of those medical school backgrounds um, 
probably knowing the, the practice that you would have now. So there was a little bit of an evolution there. Was it out of your burnout that you decided to acquire more skills or how did that come about? Yeah, essentially, um, I was, uh, uh, you know, it's a funny thing, but I, within a few weeks of graduation, the, two, the one thing I feared the most that I would somehow harm or injure an animal with medicine uh, as a result of me doing the wrong thing, or in my case, there was a typo in a textbook that led me to give a wrong drug dose. Um, that was my worst fear, doing some harm. And my, my greatest hope was that at some point in my career, somebody would think I was God's gift to medicine. And uh, it, within two weeks, I'd accomplished both. And I can remember, I was working in a small country practice at the time, and I was thinking to myself, um, as I was unlocking the door, coming back from a farm round, I was thinking, is that it? Like, uh, is everything else just filling in between these two spectrums? You know, the worst situation, the best situation, everything else is just somewhere in the middle. It, it felt like my career was looking a little empty in terms of uh, uh, gratification. Nevertheless, I soldiered on, got student loans to pay, and it's brand new in a career. To, and uh, and then yet to unfold, but uh, within a few years, I was definitely disillusioned. So, uh, why was I disillusioned? Because um, there were a lot of animals that I, I just didn't really fully understand what was going on. And of course, diagnosis is the cornerstone to effective treatment. If you can't understand a patient, then how are you going to effectively treat them? And so sometimes they didn't fit into the nice little pigeonholes that we have in conventional medicine. They just didn't fit a diagnosis. Um, sometimes what would happen is uh, I would know from a textbook perspective what the problem was, but uh, I still couldn't explain everything. And that really annoyed me. I'm a pathological Virgo. We just have to have explanations for everything. We're analysts, analysts. Um, so, uh, for example, if somebody says, oh, my dog coughs every morning at 3 a.m., uh, why is that, doctor? And I didn't have an answer. I guess a lot of people can just let that go or say, I don't know, and put the thought out of their mind. But to my mind, if I couldn't answer that question, then I didn't fully understand the case. And if I didn't fully understand the case, then, uh, you know, there's a good chance that my treatment outcomes were going to be less than desirable. So that was the first thing was... Um, uh, couldn't necessarily fully understand some of these patients. And the second thing that really bugged me was when I could understand them and I gave them treatments that were in the textbooks, um, I would find that sometimes, often, the treatment was worse than the cure. Of course, we have different drugs now than we did 30 years ago, uh, but still, we have a lot of the same drugs, and they're out there, and those same drugs are causing the same level of problems. So. Uh, one that springs to mind, just a, a dog with discoid lupus, and um, just a young dog. And, of course, the textbooks at the time said high doses of corticosteroids as an immune suppressant. We didn't have cyclosporin, and didn't have azathioprine, and we didn't have a lot of the other later immune suppressing drugs. We just had corticosteroids. So I put the dog in corticosteroids and the high dose, and the nose got a lot better. <laughs> but the dog sure didn't. Uh, I mean, it went into a, a progressive wasting uh, 
um, sort of stage. Uh, and it was a young dog. And I thought, my God, this is just not sustainable. And the owner thought that too. So uh, she weaned the dog off the corticosteroids and got herself some vitamin E, vitamin topically, vitamin E orally, treated her dog. Uh, this was the days before internet too. So kudos to women back then. It was usually women that were somehow researching treatments, even in the absence of uh, the internet. And um, she came up with vitamin E. She applied it topically. She gave it to her dog orally. Nose healed up fantastically. Um, and she brought that dog in to see me. Now, my response was uh, what I hope that every veterinarian's response would be, which is like, oh, thank goodness, you found a solution other than corticosteroids. But a lot of time, veterinarians feel threatened by uh, results that owners get using their own uh, intellect, their own resources, their own research. But uh, And if I was ever that practitioner, I would definitely know that I needed a career change because my heart was in the wrong place. Um, at any rate, I'm grateful that I had a parade of clients at that time in my life constantly asking me about, what do you think about vanadium for my diabetic cat? What do you, um, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Um, because at some point I just thought, okay, some of this stuff is outlandish. <laughs> I just need to go look this up. So there was, there's no internet. Um, we didn't even have bookstores back then. My God, how the world has changed. So I went to the library. So uh, a, a rather archaic thing to do, but that's where I went and uh, found a book talking about various holistic therapies read up on them. Yes, some of them sounded completely ludicrous. Started putting the book back on the shelf. And then I snatched it back and looked because uh, on a, one of the pages uh, was, you know, the, of the most preposterous thing, which from my mind was homeopathy. It said, oh, and by the way, veterinarians in the UK are using this to treat. And then they listed every single thing that bugged me as a practitioner that I felt ill-equipped to treat. And that grabbed my attention because, you know, UK vets, they're no slouches. They're, they're, there's a rigorous academic uh, career there. It's one thing for um, Joe Public to get temporarily hoodwinked by Dr. Google, but it's another for somebody who's gone to that kind of rigor to look at something that sounds illogical and still decide to use it and get good results. Um, I felt at that point I was, behooved me to look into it. And of course, when I'd made that decision, I was fighting against every single bias that my teachers had dutifully put into my brain during my conventional training. They said, you know, they knew enough to know that alternative medicine was coming. And they said, you know, don't, don't go there. It's hogwash. So uh, I started to explore it, uh, despite that advice. And uh, it took me a couple of years of messing around. And in that messing around, there's a lot of disappointments because there were no veterinarians doing this to learn from. Uh, there's just me out there in the wilds uh, of Canada. And, um, but I eventually started to get results, long story short. And uh, once, once that happened and once I saved my first life with holistic medicine, um, I knew there was a gigantic hole in my training and I had to get out there and, 
and, and fill it. And so I um, had a, inquired for more information from what was then called the National College of Natural Medicine, Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, Oregon, just about homeopathy. And they sent me their whole syllabus. And I looked at that syllabus and I thought, wow, well, you know, in another life, this would have been a good idea. Um, but then there's that little voice. You've probably heard that voice too. And it said, well, you can still do it. It's, it's expensive, but you own a clinic. And I had run this clinic for about five years. And I was, I was used to joke that I was getting rich off my own failures because I would not be able to get these animals better. And they'd have to keep coming back every few weeks. And, and I didn't like that feeling. It felt like it, the profession in me lacked integrity. So I, um, uh, I, I thought for a very brief period of time, but then I thought I, I got to go do this. So I sold my clinic at fire sale prices, got me enough to move down to Oregon. And then I jumped into the sort of full on human training. My idea, my thinking there was, uh, was number one, there weren't the resources that veterinarians have now, but number two, my thinking was they sue people in the States. So they probably do a good job of training them so they don't get sued. And so going to a human medical college in Oregon just made sense. That was a long answer to your question. So uh, be forewarned. <laughs> Anytime you ask me a question, settle in for, you know, 10 that's, minutes. No, that's, that's uh, excellent. But Steve, backtrack and, and talk to me about when you, because I, I had the same uh, conventional approach. I, I had my introduction, my exposure to integrative medicine was prior to veterinary school. And I knew I would, I would come out being an integrative practitioner. So I went in asking about Arnica and all sorts of things that were just, you just weren't supposed to do. And I also was given that exact same response that, you know, you don't, that is not medicine. You're dabbling in unscientific matters that actually puts, not only increases your liability as a practitioner, but it, it causes you to look uncredentialed, uneducated and potentially minimizes or, or decreases the validity of being a real veterinarian. So just don't go there. Um, in this week of inter interviewing integrated veterinarians, one of the conversations I want to have is because our option is euthanasia as conventional veterinarians, if we don't start adding lifestyle tools to our toolbox, you know, as veterinarians, we're great at treating infectious disease and, trauma medicine but when it comes to fixing our patients especially of weird and wonky symptoms like the cough at 3 a.m we don't we don't we didn't get that training so unless we go out and look outside the box we don't have that training which i think can lead to professional desperation depression anxiety lack of enjoyment doing what we're doing but then if we go out and dabble or or inquire about learning outside of veterinary school there's a lot of criticism. People, other veterinarians especially, will criticize us as not being scientific or, or why there is a, there's a, an argument right now going on between conventional doctors and integrative doctors. And it makes me sad because integrative medicine fills this gigantic gap prior to euthanasia that currently conventional medicine doesn't have any resources for. So it doesn't seem like there should be an argument at all, and yet there is. Do you see this potentially resolving over the next 50 to 100 years? And if so, or if not, what can we do to facilitate a better conversation of acceptance for both of these really important viewpoints towards medicine? Sorry, I lost you there. 
Oh, okay. Um, I'm not sure at what point I cut out. My question to you is: there's there seems to be a um, a dispute within the medical community. Can you hear me now? Oh, I think we're frozen. Yeah, he's uh, he looks frozen there. Hey, will you also do me a favor, Michael, and just email Dr. Neal and say that um, I'm with Dr. Marsden for just a few more minutes? Yep, already did. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Let me see. Oh, are you back? Hi. I'm back. You just froze up there Sorry. when you were talking about um, just like the veterinarians being in this position of having to choose between, you know, practicing their conscience, as it were, and uh, and practicing the profession's conscience or or, or following the dogma of the profession so that's where you were headed I, I didn't actually get to the question okay, so, so being that there's this in my in, from my vantage point there's this gap I was well trained with uh, conventional medicine in some aspects infectious disease trauma medicine but then there's a lot that I with lifestyle related diseases or environmental diseases or even the weird and wonky cases like the cough at three o'clock in the morning I was not I graduated not prepared to treat many of the cases I was seeing and that I felt vulnerable and I didn't feel qualified as a practitioner until like you, I could go and receive additional training that allowed me to at least offer some other resources to my clients. I felt really empowered that I had other things to offer and yet my conventional colleagues didn't necessarily see it as uh, additional gifts we could be giving our clients. They view there, there's, there seems to be, some confrontation between accepting integrative medicine and what it can offer never in place of conventional medicine but in addition to to make a whole system of medicine and provide tools and resources for patients that we didn't learn about in veterinary school when veterinarians step out to receive additional training they are not always met or well received from their conventional colleagues do you see steve that this is shifting for the better that we're beginning Getting to become more open-minded and have better dialogue with our conventional colleagues or not and if not what could we be doing to facilitate acceptance of both of these systems of medicine being incredibly important to not only heal our patients but to keep them in a state of balance and health throughout their lifetime right um, I, I definitely felt stigmatized when I first uh, went in this direction by the veterinarians that used to know me here in Edmonton and then saw me go and take off to Oregon to study God knows what. Uh, yeah, I was very aware of how they, they felt about me. Um, I do think the situation has improved because back then, even I was uh, thinking that there was a paucity of research to support uh, the directions that I wanted to move in. And I, no matter how much a veterinarian views themselves as sort of science-based, everybody knows there's a lot more science about or supporting these uh, therapies than there used to be. So that argument just doesn't even wash anymore. Now the argument is, well, what about the quality of the science? Well, you know, research is, is like a layer cake. So uh, the base level of research is... Uh, case series which you 
have to go out there and try things in order to establish. And uh, the base level of the cake, even below that, is um, bench studies and just laboratory research that supports the case series. And then on top of the case series, you get clinical trials, and then there are randomized clinical trials, and then there are systematic reviews. So uh, everybody feels like if something's worth its salt, it should be you know coming shown in a randomized clinical trial, it takes time and energy and resources and initiative and numbers to get to the top of that cake. And uh, so I see it as a convenient defense that probably people throw out there if what they're really saying is they just don't wanna look at this. Um, but for those of us who are in integrative medicine, we do see this as a process that is unfolding and the idea that science doesn't support what we're doing is, is uh, it's just not true. It's not a scientific opinion, ironically. Um, the other thing I would say is that this apparent war between you know conventional colleagues and holistic colleagues, it's not really taking place because 90% of veterinarians who do integrative medicine do it 10% of the time. So what happens is in people's clinics, there's a hat switching. You got a, you know, an integrative medicine hat. You take that off because now you got a conventional case. You put your conventional hat on. You take that off. You put your integrative medicine hat on. So there's a lot of hat switching going on, um, and there are very few practitioners like you and me who are really uh, spending far more of their time doing uh, things integratively. And even then, like I said, there is a science base behind what we do. So I feel like the, the, the little uh, concern is slowly going away. There's one other thing that I um, point out sometimes to the, when I'm teaching other veterinarians to do this in conferences and webinars, is I, I remind them of uh, what Stephen Hawking, a phrase that he had coined, which was model-dependent realism. So uh, what he fully acknowledged, what any physicist will acknowledge, is there, there are two reigning models in physics. And at, as yet, they're essentially separate. Uh, one is the quantum model. One is the Newtonian model. They can't fully be reconciled, but we know they're both correct. How do you know they're both correct? because you can form a hypothesis and you can test it and you can have each model validated. Well, we can take that same idea of model-dependent realism and you can bring it to medicine. So if we bring it to medicine, how do we test a medical hypothesis? Well, you, you test it when you diagnose a patient and then the experiment is when you treat on that basis. And when you say in advance what things you think are gonna get better, when they get better, your model has been validated. Well, we can't, just do that for conventional medicine. We can do it for Chinese medicine. I can make a Chinese medical diagnosis. I could say, these are all the things that support it. Here's the treatment that I'm gonna give for that pattern. And uh, when it works, the model will be validated. Of course, there'll be conventional medical reasons why it worked as well, but the model will be validated. So Hawking never felt that we should be so audacious as to say there's only one truth and it's science and everything else isn't. Uh, he felt there were multiple truths out there to the extent that you could hypothesize, test, and support. That was a truth that you were working with. And so when we take that lens and we apply it to what we're doing as integrated practitioners, we are very scientific.
so, so good and such a great analogy. Really, really good. I also feel that um, I do think that the, the younger, the next generation of veterinarians are approaching medicine just naturally more open-mindedly. They're, they're, they're open to having conversations that potentially older generations of vets didn't, wouldn't, couldn't even entertain. Younger veterinarians are doing a fantastic job of when they have questions, respectfully asking them so that we can begin a dialogue. And that's incredibly, I think, promising for medicine across the board, really. Right. Um, I do admire, I do admire people who realized that, um, that this was a promising area, even in spite of what they heard in their education, that they came up with the idea while they're getting educated or before they're getting educated. I admire you for having that kind of insight. I needed to be bludgeoned by life to change my opinion, so I'm, I'm always uh, impressed by people who come out of the gate knowing that what they're learning in vet school is just not sufficient. Well, and and it, I think that I can thank my parents, my family for growing up in a very proactive household. In one way, it, the strike against me is that uh, I grew up thinking that all families lived proactively and food was always at the center of healing and that we would start with nature first and then move up the toxicity scale with potentially using drugs that had more side effects where we could start with minimal side effect remedies or solutions. That seemed just common sense to me. I realize now that it, that is not necessarily how everyone views health recovery, disease, and healing. So I'm thankful I, I came out of a, a very proactive home. I do love talking to practitioners who were not only didn't realize that there was other ways of healing, but that I love looking at everyone's diversified paths and how they ended up where they've ended up. And oftentimes I think for veterinarians, they end up at burnout and then they end up rebuilding themselves and then also their practice based on a sturdier, broader perspective that can withstand the test of time without depression or burnout or anxiety. And it, it feels to me like many doctors end up hitting bottom and then rebuilding themselves on a platform that is more sustainable, but also kinder to themselves and potentially to their patients. And um, I think having a discussion about that with every veterinarian that will listen, I think we've all been in situations where the more we can discuss as, as healers, but also as pet parents ourselves, the bigger discussion we can have, the more we can remove any barriers or concerns or maybe fears that we can all bring to the table. So I appreciate all of the education you do, both the pet parents and the other veterinarians to provide opportunities for veterinarians to learn. Steve, if you could, uh, on, uh, if you could summarize any thought or idea or tidbit of knowledge to not only veterinarians, but potentially also pet parents, what would, what would, you, what would you like veterinarians and pet parents to think about or know or feel or see? Right. Um, I don't know, a few things. Um, I guess the first thing would be that uh, diet is everything. Um, diet underpins health no matter what model you're going to use to eventually try to get there another way. It's the foundation for any effective treatment, uh, be it conventional, Chinese medical, etc. So, um, 
for especially if people are and well fortunately dietary intervention is the one thing that both conventional and integrative veterinarians can agree upon and that owners can see the sense of too the question then is how do we define a healthy diet there's a lot of uh, nutritional research that does not get um, packaged and put out to my conventional colleagues because it doesn't necessarily support the product line that that company is selling and it's usually a company that's putting that information out there so veterinarians need to expand their um, expand their uh, their knowledge base to kind of fully uh, fully deploy diets to pets advantages so medical research bases like uh, databases like PubMed and stuff that's where I get my information um, and that's what helps me understand when I see a real food diet get an animal better but we can definitely say that for a large portion of animals real food diets um, are the way to go and the, the kinder they are to the animal in terms of keeping insulin levels low the more uh, unprocessed they are the better that animal is going to do regardless what uh, gets tried so that's inconvenient that's an inconvenient truth uh, for owners they don't want to hear that um, and so one of the things that I tell owners is that you need to know that if you decide not to use a real food diet out of convenience seldom is it makes sense financially because you're just going to go to the veterinarian more if you feed your animal out of a can of dog food or a bag of cat food so it's it's not a financial decision although you might think it is uh, but it is a convenience decision and so you need to know that you are you have your convenience or your the ease of your existence on a balance with your animal's well-being and you need to decide where for you that trade-off is but um, I find that once I put that things in that context then owners are much more ready to try real food diets because they don't want to convenience themselves and do harm to their animals. So uh, real food diets need to be implemented. We need to leverage the fact that a lot of conventional veterinarians embrace real food diets, if not all of them. And that's a great place to start those conversations that you were talking about. Um, I would say for veterinarians who are burned out, anxious, depressed, they should look at holistic medicine in two ways. Number one is a potential avenue for exploration. And you don't need to kind of get religion like I did to kind of plunge in. You, there are webinars, uh, very um, system-based webinars, like here's how you treat renal failure, here's how you treat liver disease, offered by colleges like CIBT, College of Integrated Veterinary Therapies. They take two hours, they tell you exactly what to do, what to look for in very conventional terms so that you can, uh, sorry, I got some, some noise there. Um, let me just disconnect that somehow. So the, um, what was I saying there? Oh yeah, so they should, veterinarians should that are nosing around this stuff and are feeling depressed and anxious they should look at integrated medicine in two ways number one avail themselves of those short easy to understand but still um, very effective uh, treatment recommending modules offered by places like CIBT um, the second thing is they should consider 
trying a holistic medicine for themselves and feeling its effects on their bodies, um, uh, feeling how it can change their stress level, their depression. We tend to think of the brain as, as when we're dealing with depression and anxiety and compassion fatigue as, as you know, that there's some part of us that's broken and unfortunately, um, Therefore, self-talk doesn't work because uh, self-talk has to come from the thing that it's broken. And we end up with this vicious circle concept of when we're feeling depressed and anxious, how do we ever get out of those, those eddies? Um, but from a Chinese point of view, how we think and how we feel, the brain's just part of a community. If you just make the community better um, by how you're eating, by getting out in nature, doing some exercise, by trying some herbs, trying some acupuncture, trying some yoga, just trying to uh, try these on for themselves. What they will find is they feel better. And then they have a, then they don't need studies to tell them they should go into this. They have their own, um, they have their own physical well-being as a barometer of that. So uh, it used to be an, uh, a leap of faith this used to be a leap of faith but now it's not a leap of faith now it's um now it's just uh, uh they can baby step their way into it yeah that's really good common sense wise advice very very good as always i appreciate your insights and your expertise you bring a lot of wisdom and and value to and as a bridge builder between the conventional and integrative doctor community you're doing an exceptional job of providing tools and resources to veterinarians looking for more options, but also hope to pet parents that feel like there aren't any options. Um, everything that you are doing, knitting together both of these communities is effective, and I'm so thankful for the role that you're playing in that. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. It's been an honor. I would, I would repeat your words right back at you. Uh, so it's been an honor to be part of your project. I hope, I hope the right ears hear it. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Marson. Bye. Bye.